Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. For a few weeks, actually, the Holy Spirit just started saying to me, um, I've got to just start telling some of the stories of revival. Um, and even last week, um, again, he stirred it in me. And then on Friday night, someone said something about it. And I was like, oh, that's it, isn't it? I've got to do it. I've got to do it on, on Sunday. Start talking in a, in a little bit. No, you know, it won't be every Sunday or anything, but today it'll be just, we're going to talk about Azusa Street a little bit and what happened there. And um, I'm going to start just with giving this Bible verse from Exodus. And this is really for our church too, because by the way, this is one of the ones that Holy Spirit really stirred when we first started. And uh, I'm going to um, pray. We've been praying, but I'm going to pray again. Um, I'm going to cry because <laughs> um, you're here, you're here, you're here and um, never ever take that for granted. We're never going to presume on you, Father, but you delight to come. You delight to be with us. You delight to bring your presence in greater and greater measure around about our lives and um, you are looking for vessels who will carry your presence and your glory in a strong way so that the world will be changed and we give our lives for this, God. We give our lives for your will, your way, for you to have your way through our lives, through our church, through our families and in this nation that we'd be people who can stand on the, it's like on the ramparts. Um, we'd be people who stand and don't give up, who we stand and don't, we say no to the enemies lies we say no we will not give our mouth to the media narrative and the political narrative we will only give our words and our heart and our mouth to what you are saying about things and so Jesus we are people who are following after you and giving our lives fully to you we recognize the cost and we willingly pay it we willingly pay any price because you paid the greatest ultimate price for us and Jesus we just say we love you we love you we love you and come in here like a rushing flood in into our lives into our hearts and blow away the things that um, hinder us so you can have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And um, so I'm going to read Exodus from Exodus chapter 13. This is right at the Red Sea moment, which is where the nation is right now. It's a Red Sea moment. And uh, like the Egyptians um, were chasing Israel, the Hebrew nation out of out of Egypt and they're stuck. The, the Israelites were stuck there going, oh my gosh, water on one side, enemy on the other. What do we do? And they just had to wait, patiently wait. (laughs) They could not help themselves. And that's the place where we're in. We can't help ourselves. God is the one who's stirring up and changing the nations. It's like tactile... um, uh, he gave me the word, um, what is it, um, tectonic plate shift. You know, the, you know, the continents were um, shifted and moved and formed because basically tectonic, shape, um, tectonic plates were shifted and moved and mountains were formed and nations were formed and continents were formed that way. God did it like that. You know, science tries and says, says one way, but God's word says he did it. <laughs> and I believe God's word. And um, the tectonic shape um, shifting right now is what he's doing in the nations. The COVID... What the enemy used, what the enemy's trying to, you know, slap down tyrannical leadership over the nations, not just this nation, we're the holdout nation for the rest of the free world, America is. Um, And so what what the enemy's trying to do through COVID is put so much fear into people and allow them to allow governments to come in and take away freedom and allow governments to come in and start ruling in areas and taking places that the government has no place to take. We have a constitution. Other nations aren't like us. They need us to stand and stay free because they will fall. If we fall, they fall. This is the point. 
we're a Red Sea moment. This is a Red Sea moment. And God is the one who is going to come through. The east wind blew and blew the waters apart and, the, and they, they walked through. And someone on Tuesday night, Emily, you said it. Someone, I'd never thought about this. It was so great. On Tuesday night, we were talking about the Red Sea moment. And Emily goes, do you know in, when the, the Israelites walked through and, and the waters came crashing down on the enemies, the Egyptian enemies. But what that did was remove a full generation of fighting men. It removed all of their enemies, but it removed a full generation of fighting men and who were left in Egypt were the children who saw the wonders of God and how God rescued out of Egypt his people. That's a Red Sea moment. We're at the same kind of Red Sea moment, right? Anyway, so this is what I'm going to read from Exodus 13, verse um, 20, uh, 21 actually. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night left the place in front of the people. The pillar is the presence of God. It was the presence of God and the word, you know, is different. It's, it's in Exodus. It's also in Numbers where it was the angel, the angel of the Lord, which sometimes means actually the Lord himself or other times it does mean an actual, you know, one of the really big archangels. So it, we don't have to get over, chip over that right now. The point I'm making is the cloud by day and the fire by night. And it marks presence. So I'm wanting to talk about Azusa Street. And some people will be really familiar with the Azusa Street revival. And why, I've already mentioned, is God's really stirred my heart to start talking about this a little bit. And the reason is we are seeing some of the manifestations happening in some of our meetings. And I want people to understand what this is. It's good. When God shows up, it's good. And so when God does, we let God do what he wants to do, and that's good. We don't want to help God along. We don't have to manipulate atmospheres. We don't have to perform here in worship. We just have to show up with our heart ready to engage him in worship, ready to engage him in prayer, understand when someone's giving a prophetic word or the word of God's being spoken out and declared, atmospheres shift, right? Understand who we are. We are his children, and we've been given authority so Jesus Jesus rose from the dead he was he was given all authority at that moment because he took the keys back from the enemy he was given authority he turned around and he gave it to us and so we are now children of the of God on the earth called to do great and, and amazing things for God and see the kingdom of darkness really be pulled down and dismantled in the, in the nations right and that's the point and so the Pella by day this pillar, so the cloud by day and the fire by night is is it's the protection of God. It's the presence of God. And so sometimes in the Bible, it was really manifest clear. People could see it with their physical eyes. As Uzzah Street, they could see it with their physical eyes. I've seen it. I've seen it with my physical eyes a couple of times, but I see it a lot in the spirit realm. And where's Reese? Reese, you you what you saw in the spirit on Sunday morning? Because you didn't tell me. Someone else did. Someone he had a friend that told, told on you. Because <laughs> so, so, uh, can I say? Is, is it, so Reese was like, I've never seen in the spirit, and I really want to see in the spirit. Like God, show me. And then you had like a really big encounter last Sunday, including seeing a cloud over the meeting. White blank. So I saw the same thing. So when someone came and told me that, I was like, Oh, I've got to tell her. I saw the exact same thing because that's the Holy Spirit confirming in you. 
right? So that's why it's really good if you have a word or you see something, say it because the person next to you or the other side of the room, it confirms in them that they're seeing the same thing. That's how faith grows. We go, I see that too. I heard that too. That prophetic word, Holy Spirit was stirring the same thing in me. That's how faith grows. So see it, say it, right? Next time, Reese. I'm glad though, because like you, I just saw the blank, just this white thick blanket. It was over people's heads last Sunday. So, anyway, cloud by day, fire pillar of fire by night. So Azusa Street was a was a revival that started. Um, it started in someone's house. There was a man called William Seymour, and um, he had one eye. <laughs> so, his last name, oh, so one eye that worked. So, so his name is Seymour. <laughs> And he didn't get healed. Like, this is a really funny thing to me. He's the leader of this three-and-a-half-year revival. They saw multiplied thousands, thousands of extraordinary miracles. And this one guy who's the leader is the only one who didn't get healed. And his last name, this is funny God, right? His last name is Seymour. (laughs) Oh, anyway. (laughs) I think that's really funny. Of all the people that didn't get healed, the person with the last name is every time someone says it, they're declaring it over him and it still didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Seymour. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway. Um, There's another man called Frank Bartleman. Who was so? So William Seymour was a black man at the time. At the still is, still was, (laughs) didn't change. Skin colour doesn't change. It's immutable. Um, so, oh, I've lost it already. Um, so Seymour was a black man, but, but one of his best friends became this man called Frank Bartleman and he was a white man. And in the 1900s, that was taboo. And, and, um, but in this revival, God changed that. And Frank Bartleman is the man who we have a lot to thank because he was a writer. So he prolifically wrote about this period and a lot of the books that we can read and a lot of the stories that we can tell about this period now comes from this man, others too, but predominantly um, Frank Bartleman because he was very, very good friends with um, Seymour and they were the two, who, plus a bunch of women by the way, who really began in this little house, in a, it's called Bray Street in, in, in Los Angeles, Bray, but Bray Street. And they would just gather... And um, a s- small handful of people, because they felt the Holy Spirit stir them and just go, I've got to go. Frank Butterman moved from the west east coast over and Seymour from like Indiana somewhere, I'm not sure. But they moved there because they felt the Holy Spirit say, move there, just move there. I'm going to do something. So obedience, right? They just moved and met each other and then began praying together. Just this handful of people, a um, couple of men, couple of women at this house on Bray Street. And after a while... They just started having prayer meetings every single day, worship and prayer, just going up all the time to the Lord, worship and prayer. And there wasn't, they didn't really do a lot of teaching. They didn't actually, you don't really have to, by the way, if the Holy Spirit's the one doing the drawing, <laughs> you know. So there's just a lot of prayer and a lot of worship going up and, and a cry from their heart for God to really do something and pour out the Holy Spirit in a very powerful and a very new way. Um, we take for granted today uh, what we call like a Pentecostal or a charismatic experience. They didn't have that. They had really, the, in a Protestant church, other, others hadn't, but in a Protestant side of the church, they'd really lost what that meant to understand what it meant to be really full of the Holy Spirit. They didn't, praying in tongues had been lost in the Protestant church, not the Catholic church, by the way. It always continued through. And, uh, 
And uh, so in Azusa Street, sorry, this was Bray Street, the Bray Street house, day after day, meeting after meeting, just more people would come up. They didn't advertise. We don't, like, we don't advertise. And God has kind of said not to. <laughs> see what I can do, he said. Don't be really good at social media. Don't advertise and just see what I can do. <laughs> so anyway, Bray Street, they weren't advertising. They didn't really have the means to even advertise like we do today. They weren't advertising and people just came. They just were drawn because they started hearing the stories of miracles started breaking out. And, but the presence of God was real. And that's, that's the draw. Yeah. It's God. The God is the draw. His presence, his authentic, real presence in the room. Authentic is a word that's thrown around too much right now. It's lost its meaning. But people do know the difference between a real experience in the Lord and what is just hype and talked about. We know. We know. We can experience God in a way that's very, very real. So, so God was just continuing to show up and, uh, at this little house and to the point where they couldn't fit in the house so they moved out to the front lawn and the lawn just would get packed like people sitting on top of people on the front lawn. I've seen photos of the house. It was a decent enough size and uh, I think it was on a corner lot too so it like spread out around or at least from the photo it looked like. They had a porch. Finally one day um, the porch broke. <laughs> <laughs> too many people in the house on the porch on the on the lawn police were coming by saying you've got to go get something bigger you can't keep doing this um so they moved from this house into a barn it was a barn they had goats and sheep and the, the, just in a, a day or two everyone just landed down there cleaned it up moved the um food and other mess the animals create put benches in and started prayer meetings and worship meetings there now, some of the miracles are so astounding, but I, I, I don't have a lot of time to talk about all of them. But one of the, one of the really significant things was, I'm going to read from uh, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. And this is concerning their worship. And by the way, the church worship, our church, our worship very generally. Ephesians 5 verse 18, it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the point. It's the psalms, it's the songs, songs from our heart just given over to the Lord or just to encourage and edify someone else. So we sometimes... This is what they were doing, we do here, right? I want to explain. Sometimes if you're new and you're wondering, why do they just stop singing English? Why do they just sometimes make noises like, oh, whatever we're doing, you know? And, um, or, or why, you know, the, the praying in tongues and, and, the, and the, the hush that might come over and the rolling wave of tongues. This is Ephesians 5. This is what's happening. It's sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Sing with psalms so that you can sing in English and you can sing in tongues. But it's the leading of the Holy Spirit in that moment through worship. And so even last week, last week if you were there, do you remember there was just like it seemed like a wave would wash over the room and then back over the room. And one side, I wasn't even leading. I was just letting the whole congregation do it. Because at one side, laughter or tears would break out. Then another side, they'd start singing again. That's just the Holy Spirit. How he just flows through a womb. And he's the one who becomes the worship leader. And I think that's so beautiful. I, I prefer that. Right? So in, in, in the Bonnie Bray house, right? I said Bonnie Bray. It's Bray. Bray Street house. Um, um, 
right before they went over to the Azusa building, someone just goes, oh, we need some music. And a woman just stood up. She felt very led by the Holy Spirit. Stood up and sat down at a piano organ and just never played a lick in her life. Didn't know what a note was. Didn't know what a G chord was or a C chord or how to even make a note, let alone put notes together to make it sound nice. She sat down and then just started playing. And it was like hymns and songs and the sound of heaven. There was an anointing that was made available in a split second for this woman. And she just jumped into it. She felt the Holy Spirit stir her to go sit behind the piano. And so she did. Thank God for obedience, right? This is, this is us. This is a, we hear, we obey. We hear, we obey. It's the Shema. It's the Deuteronomy um, 6.4. Hear, O Lord. Hear is the Shema. We hear him, we obey him. So she, she sat by the piano and then started playing and then just started playing songs. And the Holy Spirit sung songs out of her and wrote songs through her. And, and, and she never lost the ability to play. From that moment on, she was just like a concert pianist piano player right isn't that I'm like Jesus anoint me like that (laughs) he hasn't yet but I still pray (laughs) but for real like like nothing is impossible for God nothing is impossible for him so 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 then okay that's braid they move over they clean out Azusa Street they get it ready and start running meetings and um um there is um, there's a story of a little girl who was three years old at the time and um, she told her story as a 60-year-old woman and it's a book, it's in a book written by a man called Thomas Welchel. I really recommend it. And it's just um, They told me their stories. He tracked down, he's a young man in the 70s and he tracked down all the people who were children in Azusa Street and wrote their stories. This one woman who was three years old told her stories and her mum would take her there every day for three and a half years at this is a this is a building, and she said she remembers getting 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 to the building and walking into the building, and her mum finding a seat on a bench somewhere, and and because morning to night, like meetings would start in the morning, and they'd go all day, all night. If you needed food, you'd go get it and come back, and just sit back down and bring your family. If you needed to go to work for a while, you'd go work and then come back and meet the rest of your family and friends. And the meetings just were continuously ongoing meetings. So so this little three year old, her stories were. She would come in and she'd sit under the bench and go to sleep for a while because kids nap during the day, right? So she would come in and she'd just go to sleep at the first part of the meeting, take her nap, and this is what she said. When I would wake up out of my... Now, see, as a 60-year-old, she's telling the stories from when she was a 3-year-old as if it just happened that day because it was the presence of God touching her so powerfully, right? So she said this, I remember... Every day I would wake up and the first thing I'd see is there was a thick cloud in the room and I would be breathing it in. I could feel the heavenly breath coming in and out and I'd be breathing it in and out. And she's three years old. So she goes, and I knew I could run around and, and push the cloud around. And so she describes, she describes a, like only as a kid can do, right? Because Jesus said, we've got to receive the kingdom like a child. Uh, so this is the three-year-old story. So she would run around and, and, and like the cloud would just billow around her. Have you ever seen like a fog roll through Virginia Beach? This, this last month has been really foggy. Well, the, the cloud just does, it rolls in and rolls back out. And so this was like the glory cloud in the building. And so she would, she'd wake up and she'd try and play with it and catch it. And other kids would too. Literally, they'd be trying to catch it and cuddle it. They knew it was God. They knew it was the presence of God. And so one day she got the idea to bring some jars... <laughs> and so 
she got some in the glass jar and put the lid on it and tried to take it home. <laughs> and so, and so she, she goes, she goes, she's telling a story in this book and she goes, I was so disappointed the next day to wake up and the glass jar was empty. <laughs> like, like how funny, like how funny. And I just think, I think that um, the father, the father is so, like so joyful. He's so joyful and so this three-year-old little story, like it's real. The stories of her just enjoying his presence and running around like, oh my gosh, God is here and the, and the cloud is here. Not understanding really because she's three, right? And she was six and a half. So it went for three and a half years. So there's good memories. She's got good memories. She also told a story of watching another <coughs> woman walk in who had her ear had been bitten off. <laughs> They'd been, they'd been a domestic. <laughs> so this woman knew the place to get healed was the Azusa Street building. And so this little girl tells the story of watching um, a, a grown woman whose name was Sister Carney. Sister Carney was approached by a woman bandaged up, bloody ear, and pr- crying. My ear, my ear has been, you know, it's gone. <clears throat> and so she, Sister Carney pulls away the bandage and the ear is missing. And Sister Carney's like, where is the ear? She goes, I left it there. <laughs> You're not really thinking, oh, pick it up and go. <laughs> like, it's not really someone's first thought. I just dropped an appendage. I better pick it up and bring it over to the prayer meeting. So <laughs> maybe we should think that way. <laughs> um, Sister Carney put, didn't know what to do. Sister Carney's words were, I didn't know what to do other than to pray because God does the impossible. Sister Carney puts her hand on the woman's ear where the ear was, prays, takes her ear off and a full ear had grown back. A full ear had been fully formed in the place where the one had been bitten off. And the blood had stopped and the pain, by the way, the pain, the woman describes in this Thomas Welchel book, the pain had fully stopped. Right? Okay, there's another story about, um, it's a bit gruesome because this is a man did lose an appendage. In a work accident, <clears throat> in a work accident, a man lost an appendage because his arm got stuck in a machine. And it literally got ripped off. And the 1900s, like medicine's pretty gruesome. Like it's horrible to think about amputation now. But if you think about the medicine and what was available then, oh my gosh. So this man's livelihood was to completely taken away in a day. His family, he, like he had real need now. He couldn't work to support his family and his arm was barely put back together. And he'd heard about these meetings going on at Azusa Street. <coughs> I did not have covid the context that every time now sneeze in a store I don't have COVID I promise <laughs> anyway um so the 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 man he turns up to one of these meetings in with a lot of doubt because he's he's this is I think maybe a year had gone by he's lost his income livelihood money is desperate to put food on his family his life has been quite destroyed by losing the appendage but he turns up, he, I think um, by memory that he didn't really know the Lord, but he turned up because he'd heard about incredible miracles that were taking place. People getting up out of wheelchairs, people getting up off hospital beds who'd been wheeled there from the hospital to Azusa Street and leaving the hospital bed behind, right? So he heard these stories. And in front of everybody, he stood in the middle of the crowd in the presence of God where the cloud was and he stood there going, I just need help. And a few people prayed and in front of hundreds of people in the room, This is what happened. The bone in his arm shot out. Bone. Then muscles shot out and covered the bone. And then vessels shot out 
This is like an anatomy lesson for these people. <laughs> We've got glossy magazines and books that help us today. They didn't have that. <laughs> so, so, and on, on all the flesh appeared and then the skin appeared and then his arm worked and moved and the man got his life back. And so it was a very undeniable miracle that gets told about Azusa Street because it was so eye-poppingly, what did I just see? I can't, I don't have a grid for that. Does that make sense? So that's Azusa Street. The, there's more. At Azusa Street, I've mentioned, I used the scripture from Exodus and the reason is, is because during the daytime was the cloud. There was just a very strong cloud. Um, at nighttime, once the sun had gone down, like we read in Exodus, over the building appeared a pillar of fire every single night to the point that fire trucks would come to try and put the flames out. <laughs> like, and they're like, no, no, really, don't put water on us. This is God. <laughs> don't, again, don't throw water on us. Uh, um, so what would happen is from Azusa Street, about a mile or so away down the road was the nearest train stop and people would come from all over on the train and to go to Azusa Street. And this is the way God advertises himself, right? No one really knew the address properly, but the pillar of fire was so big off the top of the building that people would get off the train and on the train platform go, look, oh, there it is, and start walking a mile away, right? And sometimes, before they even started walking, while still on the train platform, the presence of God would come on them and cause repentance and cause incredible miracles to start happening as they're on their way, not even in the building yet, as they just started walking, gathering themselves. And so that miracles were happening on the way to the building. People were repenting on the way to the building, like literally crying and weeping and conviction of sin was coming on people and causing them to even get their heart right before they even stepped into the really strong presence of God. Isn't that amazing? So, I want to, what time is it? I want to just tell the last couple of things about it. And here's what, here's what, here's why, we'll, you know, we'll drop stories like this in the next few weeks. We're also talking about spiritual warfare as a theme, so I'm not trying to not do that. Um, but the best spiritual warfare is our prayer and our worship anyway. And that was really what marked the people. There was a hunger for God. If you look in Zechariah, I won't read it right now, but Zechariah, um, um, it's um, 12 verse 10 and then 13, the first verse in chapter 13. In Zechariah 12 verse 10, it says the Holy Spirit, God said he'd send his Holy Spirit to stir people to greater prayer and to stir people to greater repentance before him. And then in, verse thir- in chapter 13, Zechariah chapter 13 verse 1, he answered that cry of their heart for more prayer, the hunger of their heart for more of him. He answered it by pouring out the Holy Spirit. Right, and so that's what revival. Revival is. There's a lot of there's a lot of ways to define it, and I won't because there's like 20 different ways. It is just very simply. I'm not trying to be technical. It's coming alive, coming awake, being revived on the interior of who we are, remembering who we are, and going. That's right. I want you, God. Right, and then not backing down until you get it. So, um. Zechariah 12.10 and Zechariah 13 verse 1. The, um, something that was 
um, very significant at Azusa Street in the presence of God. And I find he still does it today. Oh, you just, well, he doesn't change. Of course he does. Still do it. Um, uh, but um, something that I find really fantastic about um, the meetings that were happening there is this. Um, God would do the altar calls. God was the one who was showing up and causing people to really deeply repent. God was the one showing up with his presence and calling people into deeper relationship with him. They were praying. They had a room upstairs in this building. It was called the repentance room. <laughs> and um, they'd go up there and just go and get their heart right if they, if they noticed something wasn't right. They'd go up there and uh, if, uh, even just to pray. So sometimes the prayer meetings before the morning meeting started, sometimes they'd just meet up there and pray. Just a handful of people would gather there first and then come down. But um, here's the thing is, um, in those meetings, like what we do here, there's, there was the inv- open invitation. If you have a word from the Lord, if you have a prophetic word and you know it's God, you're invited here to come give it, right? And so we, we do that because it's actually, if you read through if you read through 1 Corinthians um, 12 and 13 and 14, you'll see that was their habit. That's what they did, the early church. And, um, and there was order to it, right? So we want order to it. But here's how we don't have to institute order. This is what God did at Azusa Street. Um, that was like hundreds and hundreds of people are trying to pack into the building and there's a little tiny, it wasn't even a stage. They, made, they very deliberately didn't make it a stage so that it wasn't about performance and it wasn't about the person with the microphone. They didn't have microphones but... Um, <laughs> And um, but it wasn't about the person standing up in front of you. It was about God being God, letting him be God and saying only what he said and doing only what he said, singing the songs he wanted sung. And so there was such a value for God being Lord, like the Holy Spirit is the Lord and where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? That's that scripture. And so they so wanted the Holy Spirit there to be the one running everything they wouldn't even intervene or very rarely had to intervene because even in the place where we invite people up to have words, the Holy Spirit's presence would be so strong that if someone did get up in the flesh, if someone did get up arrogantly with a wrong motive or a wrong agenda or show off, look at me and my big gift, Holy Spirit would come on them so much that in, in front of everybody, <laughs> he'd pour out conviction upon them and they'd start saying their thing and then literally just go, what am I doing here? And crumble on the inside and begin repenting in front of everybody. And it was obvious to everybody he was, he was doing it from wrong motive. Make sense? So I'm sharing this story so you understand it happened a lot because they had, they had hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of pastors from all around the world to 53 different countries or more um, come, like churches would send their people to come and see what was happening because the revival literally thousands weekly were coming through their doors. And so, of course, you free mic, open mic, you're going to get a person or two who's going to, oh, let me show off. <laughs> and God, God was just so in the place and so strong in the place and, and they so trusted him and would allow him to have his way that even with the open mic stuff, Holy Spirit was in charge and Holy Spirit would cause such incredible conviction to come on people. So he set the culture of deep repentance Hold nothing back before the Lord. Don't do anything out of your own initiative. Like Jesus, right? Philippians 2. He did nothing out of his own initiative. He did everything according to what the Holy Spirit wanted. He, that was the humility that he walked with. You can read it in Philippians 2. Right, so nothing out of our own initiative, nothing out of our own flesh, nothing out of our own arrogance. All human pride is dealt with under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he developed, the Holy Spirit developed such a culture of purity and honesty and what that did was someone earlier stepped up safe. You did, Paul. You said, this is safe. You didn't know I was going to say this. 
the Holy Spirit was so strong in that place and developed his, the culture he wanted in such a way that people were really safe. We're safe. So they trusted him to look after things. They trusted him to provide. They trusted him to deal with things that were often wrong. They didn't have, was no like heavy-handed leadership. In fact, if people did come in with like heavy-handed leadership, God, the culture that Holy Spirit was creating and the leaders were allowing God to create, pushed out the people who were being wrongly abusive or wrongly heavy-handed or wrongly came in with wrong agenda. Does that make sense? And that's what God wants. That's the kind of church that he wants. So I have, I have just really quickly, because I will finish, just a couple of stories. I think they're really funny. We did have someone who was with us in the early days who would, who would get up and try and give prophetic words. And he'd only come maybe once a month or once every other month. And he'd give these really strong words. And they were biblically right. But they were not in his, it was in his flesh. But our people knew, like a lot of the people just knew, who is this? Why is he, why is he giving this prophetic word? And then leaving again. And sideways with me, he'd be like, why don't people listen to my words? Why don't people listen to my prophetic words? And I was kind of like, because no one knows you. You come in and have a word and you leave again. No one sees you for a month. No one sees you for two more months. And you want everyone to listen to your prophetic words. And, and the thing is, he, he, he wouldn't... He, so we were having some side conversations, like, just let people get to know you. Because when people get to know you, they know if you love them or not. In the isolation, we don't know. So people aren't going to listen to the prophetic words that you want to give every... And he's actually got a really strong prophetic gift on him. So I really wanted... I wanted to help develop it. And um, he, he wouldn't repent. He wouldn't repent of his stuff. And that's why he didn't want to be known in community. That's a really strong thing with, with, with community and church and people like opening up. If you're going to live really open before people, really transparent, it's, it's the way to get to know people and it's the way to really know if you're loved. And that builds safety. Openness builds safety. Openness also builds in the necessary, the, the, the need to bring my heart and repent of everything, let go of everything um, because there's no shame in openly confessing stuff. There's no shame in openly confessing sin or things that you fall short on. There's no shame of that at all. Where there is shame is when you hide it. And it's not because in the community people would shame you. It's because the devil operates through shame. And when you have unconfessed sin and unconfessed dealt with areas in your life, he has a foothold of shame in your life, right? So safety in the community is that we're loved. We're really loved first by God. And if we know how much we're loved by God, we easily love everybody else it flows I'm so safe here like with him I'm so safe so I can live so open before everybody else and so and just love no matter who comes into the world our world right so that's how God had protected that community there I have two really quick other stories and I'm going to finish because this is our, our own church stories and it's really funny and it happened a week apart and it was really funny I, I mean maybe not funny for one person <laughs> It's, it's good, it's good. So, so sometimes, sometimes the presence of God, you know, in our worship, it's just obvious and it's strong and it's there. Other times you feel this sense of something just rushes into the room. There's like a wave, it just washes in strong, right? Well, um, well, one Sunday, and this was quite a long time ago, so none of you would know who this person is, so please don't try and guess. Because we're safe people. We want to be safe. So, so one day this person... Um, 
this person was sitting right down the front and he'd been with us just a few weeks. I know this person, we go back 10 years, I know his life story, but he's willfully living with sin, wanting to be a Christian but willfully making choices completely against God, like living actually homosexual life. And so, and so living completely opposite to what God wants, yet still saying, but I love Jesus and I'm going to be here and I'm digging in. I'm going to do what I want to do and I want Jesus anyway. And I want the Holy Spirit. Kind of like that. Willfully, willfully in the face of God saying, well, I'll live this way and I'm going to abuse your grace anyway, right? And God doesn't like that. God doesn't actually let us do that. For our own good, by the way. Not because he's mean and harsh. It's for our own good. Anyway, so a couple of weeks go by and he's, he's, he's you know, coming to our meetings. Well, one Sunday comes by and I was worship leading and um, I just, I felt the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit rushed in from the back of the room all the way in so strong, like a tidal wave of presence strong. And you could, worship lifted, everybody sensed it. But this one man picked up his bag from the front row and went running out the building out the front door and has never come back. And like it was like a running, like it's animated in my head now. So it's like, ah! <laughs> maybe it shouldn't, wasn't quite animated. It's just funny now. So <laughs> I'm not mean, I promise. I'm really graceful. <laughs> I'm a really graceful person. Um, uh, mostly. <laughs> Unless you mess with our people. <laughs> then yeah, anyway. Um <clears throat> The second week, like one, one week later, and this is, this is how good God is, right? Because internally I'm like, well, I know what happened. I know you rushed into the room and I know he couldn't handle the presence of God because sin cannot abide with the strong presence of God. So the week later, we had someone else walk in who I know is a man of great purity. I'm going to cry because he's beautiful. He walked in and... Um, he sat in the very, very back, and I've known this man also for about ten years. And he's um, he's a he's a worshipper, and he's an he's an amazing musician, just beautifully poses out beautiful worship. Anyway, he came and sat in the very back of the room, and I was like, "Would you bring someone like that here, like with that gift?" Anyway, I'm worship leading again, worshiping away. Meeting goes on; it's great, and um, presence is great. And within a few days, he just texted Clayton this. Here's where I cry. He goes, um, I've known this man, like, and, and the church that he was in. He said, um, the Holy Spirit had been asking me to come to you guys for months and I just didn't. And he goes, and even when I sat in the back, the presence of God here was so strong and the Holy Spirit put a demand on my heart because I felt like, the, you know, we're a tiny church and he's used to big stages and it's me worship leading and he's a brilliant musician. I'm just okay <laughs> on the best day. <laughs> so, and I say that. I'm really okay saying that, right? I don't care. Um, so so um, he goes, he goes, um, oh, cry. He goes, oh, Holy Spirit gave me two options. Swallow my pride and stay and enjoy the presence and be here. Like humble myself. Or pick up and stay in my pride and leave. And that's what the presence of God does to every single one of us all the time. That is the demand on our heart every single day. 
And every single time we gather for it, it could be just a prayer meeting with one, one person, could be a, a prayer meeting with 10 people, could be a meeting like this. The presence of God is precious and holy. He's sacred. He's holy. He's amazing. He gives himself so generously, right? And so, you know, there's the messages of grace and people go, yeah, he's generous. God is so graceful. And yes, he is. Thank God he is. But he's also really pure and really holy and really beautiful. And his majesty is breathtaking. And the demand on our heart is that we lay ourselves down to experience the more of him. And he gives it generously. When we make that choice in our heart and we just go, oh, I want you. The exchange of the things we give up is nothing in comparison to what we get back in reward for who he is. It's God who wants to make me his best friend. And the, and the, the ways that he makes himself available to us. And that's why I want us to go after is it would just be people who understand that this, you know, Azusa Street, the revival they experienced, it began with people who went after purity. They went after holiness. They went after deep repentance. Humility was constantly something they talked about because they knew it was the way into accessing presence. And when we can access presence like that, it's not only our life that gets changed. It's the lives all around about us. So it's for us, God's for us, but he also puts it on us and his presence in us and on us for all of the people around about us. And transformation becomes not just ours, it becomes anybody that comes into our world. Miracles become available, life-giving words, prophetic words, encouraging words that literally can call a person into right identity because we've just decided that he'll be the one I listen to, he'll be the one, I'll see what I'm saying, I'll he- what I'm hearing him say, I'll say. What I see him doing, I'll do an honour for him as, as God in our heart, as glory. The Greek word doxa, honour, is glory, same word. The honour that we give for him, he returns back to us in his glory presence, his strong glory presence, because he honours us with his presence. And so that's the thing, that's how it works too, right? And we, we talk about this and we'll always, because it is what makes safe, your word earlier, the safety is I honour the person in front of me and as I honour the person in front of me I give away favour and I give away great glory the person might know Jesus if they do know Jesus that's great that's a party with the two of you if they don't know Jesus I am making a space over this person's world I've just given them away so much grace and have invited them now into the kingdom and when I can if it's real like tangibly authentic overused word but it's real here it matters the authentic tangible honour that I've given someone opens up heaven over their life, right? And so that's, that's how we make people really safe around about us. See, every single person is created in the image of God. Every single person. I was going to make a joke. It would not be a political one. <laughs> Pray for them all. God loves them all. But the, bra- the, the honour that we give to another person opens up the space and, 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 and brings presence to them. Because that's what it is. It's honour is glory. Honour is giving away presence of God. You know, the kingdom of God is the primary um, message, focus of Jesus' teachings was the kingdom of God. And so that's we give away the kingdom of God. 
by giving away honour and just yeah. loving people, every single person that comes yeah. into our world. And so if we can be that kind of church, I know the Zuzu Street stories are our stories already, just not in the magnitude, but they will become that yeah. for us. Yeah. If we're people who just go, oh, I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to repent of everything. I'm going to get rid of everything. I'm going to give – and no cost is too great. Yep. I've actually settled in my heart that if I die for you, I die for you because Paul said it's better. It's gain. It's, 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 better, it's better that I stay, he said, because um, I can encourage as many others into the same kind of revelation. That's what he meant by that. But, I, gee, I long to be there. <laughs> so the cost. Let's, let's pray. Um, Jesus, I, 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 we give you our hearts again and again and again. We intention in our heart to make you the Lord of all of our life, the Lord of all of our thinking, the Lord of all of our emotions, the Lord of all of our um, activity, the Lord of all of our work, the Lord of all of our parenting and our wifing or mothering and parenting and fathering and husbanding and business running and whatever activity that we find. We, you are the Lord of it all, Father. You are the Lord of it all. And um, we declare your kingship, your rulership. And as we do that, we even open up the kingdom of heaven over our life and over people's lives around us all the more. That is the kingdom of heaven. Wherever the Lord's rulership exists, that is the kingdom of heaven, right? So God, I pray we'd be people who go deeper in you every single day. Every day is an invitation from your heart into more of you, having more of you, seeing you, experiencing you through our many senses. I pray for tangible, real encounter for people, Father, because nothing is impossible for you. And the tangible, real encounter is something that really can so grow our faith. And even for those that haven't necessarily yet, God, I just pray, stir greater faith in them, greater hunger in all of us, I pray, greater hunger in all of us, God. I pray, Lord, we say, have your way through our life. We say, we hold nothing back from you. We ask you to come in and have your way in everything, every day, every moment. God, teach us to be people who can carry your presence every moment, that a moment by moment we are thinking about you. We are inviting you into him every moment. It's the acknowledging the Lord in all your ways is the invitation, inviting him into every single moment of your life. And so we pray that over these people, Father God, that we can be people who are so honouring to you, so valuing you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that you take your rightful place in, the, in our heart, on the throne of our heart and over our lives and families. But even God, even over this nation, we are praying that you pour out Holy Spirit powerfully over this nation. We are praying for revival in this nation. We are praying that you raise up a generation of young people again in this nation who will set sail this nation for the next 100 years, that we would raise up another second great generation in this nation. In Jesus' name father yeah yeah amen thank you for joining us today for more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services visit seashorechurch.com